Yeah, no, I think that'll work. I, I, I think we could start with Guardians because it's the least one where spoils, spoilers matter. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. at all, really. Yeah, and ev- yeah. everyone's seen it by now, so... It, yeah, I mean, it, it had the best second week of any movie all, all year. Weekend, I mean, so... It's, well, is, yeah. is it beating a TMNT? I'm just curious. Probably. Uh, no, it lost by $20 million. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's the second movie of the weekend. Yuck. Uh, but it's still the second. It had the best second weekend of any movie all year. So. Cool. Yeah, well, it wasn't really opening opposite anything noteworthy other than the turtles. I remember when I was... Hunter for Journey, though. Storm. Hunter <laughs> the Storm is like a masterpiece of cinema. <laughs> the movie was... The, the, I I'm looking at the box office numbers. I'm assuming that movie bombed hard. It seems like it bombed horribly hard. Yeah. Like, I still I feel still feel kind of weird that I even saw that. Like, <laughs> but the thing is, like, it's like 15 percent of Rotten Tomatoes or something. It's not. It's not that bad. Like, I think it's just difficult to like. And like the thing with Rotten Tomatoes is just you know, do you like this at like even even if you just dislike it, I a would little probably bit. give it a rotten just because like. You know, it's cool to sit in front of it and look at, but, you know, it's not offensive or anything, but... Yeah, I mean, I feel like most people probably felt that way. It's like, it's just not the worst movie ever, but it's certainly not, like, anything you could recommend on really any level. (laughs) Yeah. Into the Storm, the 100-foot journey, and Step Up All In, all epically bombed. Into the Storm made $18 million this weekend. 100-foot journey in 2,000 theaters only made eleven, and Step Up only made six in 2,000 theaters. I'm dollars. I'm amazed at how hard the step up thing has bombed because were those movies huge like five? It's Channing Tatum that uh, was in the first one, yeah. Well, like even the like even the first one, and then even like the second and third one seemed to do all right. But like it's just weird how no one has cared, no one has given mm-hmm. the tiniest crap about those movies anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing that they're still making them. You know, a little fun fact um, is that Into the Storm and the new Step Up movie, were uh, the scripts were written by the same person. Yeah, I, I heard that, yeah. That is, yeah. That is real weird. That's extremely I bet, weird, I bet yeah. they're not having a good weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately. They're two lowest <laughs> opening movies. Yeah, you know... Um, Hunter for a Journey, I actually thought was doing a little bit better because uh, we sold out some shows at my theater. Um, but I think it's just because we sold out some people. shows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I think just you know a lot of the more old white people you have in the area, the more exactly. Old yeah, white exactly. people love stories about going to India. I was beguiled by the sound of train breaks. Yeah, the best exotic. Or, or exotic Marigold. I actually yeah. like the best exotic Marigold Hotel. I think it's adorable. I actually didn't see it, so I shouldn't talk. But you'll, you'll um, probably. Are you gonna see the second? Best oh gosh. That I think that's the title. The Which one? Best, the uh, second gonna be best exotic Marigold. <laughs> There's gonna be a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, and they got a big actor in it. I forgot who it was. Uh, I'll look it up right, right now. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's called the second. 
I think so. I, I could be just. No, it is. The it vest is, is torn down, so they gotta go with the second vest. Spoiler alert! I didn't know that. Oh god! If that yeah, the second, the second vest. That's that's. If yeah. that wasn't the title of the movie, oh, Richard Gear, yeah. Oh, who's like the perfect old white man for? And David Strahan, who's actually better than Richard Gear. Oh my god! That there's this movie out right now. Uh, directed by Rob Reiner called And So It Goes. Oh, gosh. We're, we're saying a lot of Oh, God. And apparently it plays the whole, like, Michael Douglas is like a, oh, old adorable racism angle. And just like, oh, please. <laughs> I saw the trailer for that in front of, I think in front of Snowpiercer, surprisingly. And it is maybe my favorite trailer of all time because it has, like, the most on-the-nose narration in any... Like, it, it seems like a parody. It's like, the story of the little things that bring us all together. And family! And, like... And it has, like, the worst cover of the Hall & Oates song. Um, the, one that was, that was, the one that was in 500 Days of Summer. Uh, they had the big dance sequence. Um, you Make My Dreams Come True, that song. <laughs> it has like the worst cover oh, of that yeah. song and just like oh god everything about this oh god it's like the bucket list part two just uh, yeah. kill me now <laughs> we should so the talk. bucket list is a, the bucket list is a movie i once dissed i've never seen it i'm like yeah i mean it could be yeah. worse it could be the bucket list and this guy guilted me he goes well <laughs> My dad's not doing so hot, and that's oh, his favorite movie. God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, good Lord. And I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't expect to, to slam a movie and make you think about your sick father. I'm really sorry. <laughs> uh, I feel really – I feel real. I, I, I might have admitted this to you guys before. When I saw The Bucket List back in the day, back, in mm -hmm. the, back when it came out, I cried. <laughs> <laughs> and now I see it for, like, the phony garbage that it is, but I – cried <laughs> it's okay crash got me when I yeah, yeah yeah crash oh, got you God. so I, I can't you know we're even on when this you regard. fake shoot a little mexican girl and then it, it's really sad yeah, yeah <laughs> and, the, and then you get angry because she's not really dead and then you're like wait i'm mad that she's not dead i'm confused <laughs> danny still hasn't had, danny still hasn't admitted to a movie that he's yeah, I'll, I'll rack my brain for embarrassing cry moments. I, I don't generally cry at movies. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's something out there. Yeah. You know, I know there's been bad things that I've liked, like passionately. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. what? I know there's, been, there's bad things that I have liked passionately when I was younger. Um, like what? Oh, let's see. <laughs> um, I used to just get into a lot of horrible, like, broad comedies. Um, oh yeah, you know, like, like that was my like Austin State, Powers like... three man. <laughs> Austin Powers three yeah. and Gold yeah. Member. Yeah, the Austin Powers movies do not hold up. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Like, even... I, I remember you saying that you really liked Saving Silverman back in the day. Or that's funny that you remember that. I actually I wasn't like you know calling it an all time favorite, but yeah, I enjoyed Saving Silverman when I saw it. Yeah, uh, those old um. What the, what's the dude's name that does all those Adam Sandler movies now? Oh, is it Dennis Dugan? Dennis Dugan, that guy. Yeah. 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 You know, you know what's actually extra embarrassing, and TJ is really gonna hate me for this one. I'm not gonna say that I, I necessarily loved this movie, but I definitely 
didn't think it was the worst movie ever and I actually enjoyed parts of it was um, Strange Wilderness. Oh, God. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> is the worst movie of all time. I, re- I remember... I remember seeing trailers for it and thinking, wow, that looks kind of funny. I might go see it. And then I saw it had like four or like four or less percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I think, I think it's, it's zero. zero yeah. 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 Zero percent of Rotten Tomatoes. I'm like, I'm not seeing that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't care what Rotten Tomatoes at the time. I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, kind of comedy with, you know, people I like. Jonah Hill, Steve Zahn. Like, you yeah, know, I'll go yeah. for it. And and the one part that <laughs> I remember as being funny was the shark part. Um, yes. Yeah, because, but and it's, in the trailer, um, it's in the trailer uh, for yeah. the movie. That's why I want to see a movie so bad. Like, oh, that shark joke is so funny. Funny, <laughs> funny part was in the trailer. That's such a ripoff. And then oh, you go see it, like, and there's a giant turkey that that eats that one guy from the Adam Sandler movie's penis. There's the they shoot Bigfoot. There's Jonah Hill in a thong. The movie is just not funny. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's actually funnier trying to explain how it's not funny than it was when you. There were, <laughs> oh yeah, there were plenty of bad. There were plenty of horrible comedies I liked in my youth. Like I rented, I rented Joe Dirt so many times. Um, oh gosh, yeah, I used to watch that too. Um, <laughs> Joe Dirt, yeah. Um, Nor- like Norbit, I really liked. Oh gosh, <laughs> I, I, I turned that on the TV a couple months ago. And I was just like, I was laughing at it, but just because, like, why does this movie exist? So much of it is wrong, and then is um, it controversial to ask what, if Eddie Murphy is a hack? I mean, oh, he's totally a hack. Okay. He he's been a hack since. I mean, Daddy, he's been a hack since Daddy Daycare. I I, I watched <laughs> one of his old specials, uh, Notorious, where he's in the Notor- red jumpsuit. No, Notorious, yeah, and the and the the one where he's in the black suit. I don't remember what the name is. The, the, oh, I haven't seen that one. I just watched Notorious recently, and that is hilarious. Not- it is like his, his delivery is fantastic, and it makes you wonder. But his, and I know he's sort of doing what Louis C.K. does, and sort of brings attention to things. It's very that, 80, it's very eighties. I'll give you that. Like oh yeah, in a sense it might not have used well. But, oh well, yeah, um, I forgot about that. The, the, no, the first fifteen minutes are really hard to watch because he says because he makes all these AIDS jokes, and they're to, and I don't know if he's being subversive or not. I don't know if he is part of the problem of of ignorance of AIDS in the eighties, which was obviously, if you've seen any great documentaries out there, like how to survive a plague and or we survive. Were, we were here is another good one. I heard in Dallas. Fire yeah. um, <laughs> you know, that 90% of the public thought you could spread AIDS by breathing on someone. So oh. yeah. his jokes about all your girlfriends getting AIDS from their gay friends just by hanging out is like, Oh my God, this joke is so sad. and offensive. Uh, um, it wouldn't surprise me. All right, we should actually talk about movies now. Hi, welcome to the Abandoned Theater Podcast. You've probably been listening to us for a good while now, and you don't know who we are. Uh, I'm Robert Beck. I'm a writer for Speakers and Speakers and Screens over at speakersscreens.tumblr.com, where you can also find this podcast hosted and several movie reviews and whatnot and uh, music discussions. And whatnot, and with me as always is these two. <laughs> I am CJ Duane. I also write for speakers in the screen, especially the abandoned theater aspect of the blog with movies. I haven't written anything in a while, but it's been a busy few weeks. Um, I hope to have a Jonathan Demi essay up soon, but we will see. Cool. Well, yeah. I think since the last one, you've had um, the Michael the Hanukkah, Hanukkah one's my last one. 
the Hanukkah one was the most most yeah. recent. And I might have mentioned that you should guys should check out my Hanukkah prank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also another person on this podcast. Yeah, and I'm yeah. Danny, and I'm right here. I haven't written anything recently. My last thing was the Snowpiercer essay, but... Which um, we talked about, I think. Yeah, which we did talk about. But yeah, you can read it again. Okay. Today we will be talking about Boyhood, Guardians of the Galaxy, which everyone's seen, so who cares? So who cares, in a way? Most Wanted Man. I'll be talking briefly about um, Yodorowsky's Dune. Let's... We discussed this beforehand. Let's table the Boyhood discussion for the end of the show. Because we're probably that's our big movie that we're all excited to talk about, but there's probably going to be, I don't know, if legit spoilers, but we're we're going to get in deep, in depth with the plot. So, I say that, just know that all three of us highly recommend it, and if you haven't seen it, I I don't, you know, you can read reviews if you want, but just be cautious, and you should just go see it in any circumstance. It's Still in theaters, it, it expanded to quite a few theaters in the last week or so. Um, so go see it if you haven't already. But we're going to table our full discussion for the end, if that's all right with y'all. That's yeah. all right. And we're going to start with the biggest movie of the past couple weeks. And you know, judging by what's going to come out in August, probably the biggest movie in all of August. Yeah, Gar- definitely. The new Marvel adventure, Guardians of the Galaxy. Does anyone want to explain the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy? Well, I would, but there isn't one. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, a simple MacGuffin kind of thing. I mean, yeah, obviously you're joking, but it's it's definitely not uh, like anything really stand out. Like the plot itself, like it's pretty familiar for a Marvel movie. Um, the space adventure yeah. opera. Yeah, what, and what, you know, well, what's memorable about it is the characters more than anything else. Yeah, exactly, and, oh, yeah. and the humor and the tone. And, the humor yeah. and the tone. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of the first Marvel film that you can loosely categorize as a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't yeah, think I mean, that, even I, the other ones have some comic relief, but this one actually kind of is a comedy. Yeah, yeah. and that there's running gags and the it's it's funny, and the thing is. I mean, who really cares about the plot? Of the, you, you know the plot of the Guardians of the Galaxy by now. You've heard about it by now. You've probably seen it by now. You don't really care about what we think of it. But we're talking about <laughs> that just, just because. Um, I think, yeah, just getting it out of the way, I think the worst aspect of the film is sort of the standard villain. The, the villains easily are just completely forgettable. I, I um, forget his so, name. All I, all I know is he, he, he kept crying and his mascara kept smearing. <laughs> he was crying? I don't even remember that. <laughs> no, I'm talking about his makeup. His, his oh, makeup man. had the black smudges on his face. Oh. I had to look it up, but Ronan. Ronan, okay. No, yeah, Ronan, I don't remember. He was, only, he was like a notch more <laughs> memorable than the villain from Thor the Dark World, and that's not a compliment. Yeah, I didn't see Thor. I don't, I don't even remember who the villain from the first Thor was. <laughs> also, I have to say, I mean, I'm not very versed in the comics, but Neither um, but Thanos is kind of funny looking. Yeah. And there <laughs> he, was a... He, I'm sorry. Go on. No, 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 you're good. It, um, it's the... 
Yeah, I mean, what you're about to say is probably what I'm going to say. Well, uh, well, here's the thing. There was this great article on the Dissolve recently, and I don't know if I posted it or talked about it with you guys, but it was sort of talking about how the slow rollout of Thanos as a villain, and this is getting to the comic mythology, which I usually try to avoid from, but because we just mentioned Thanos, the slow rollout of Thanos among all these films is actually making him a less and less interesting presence. Mm-hmm. And by the time he does show up, which will be in the third Avengers film, who really? know, who, yeah, because yeah, he's not even the the main villain in Avengers two is going to be Ultron, which mm. is oh, yeah, yeah. big robot. So Thanos is being table until the apparently the last Avengers film, and mm. the, that's going to come out in 2018, 2019, six or seven years after he was first introduced in the Avengers. That's just mm-hmm. not a like you can do some that kind of thing in the comics where. You know, the Thanos doesn't show up for six issues. It's only six months you have to wait. But mm-hmm. for you know, there's only a couple of these movies coming out every year, so it's not. You can't really. It's it's not really well very well done in that sense. But that's going very in depth with something I'm not even all that interested in, which is the whole mythology stuff. Yeah, yeah. There is an audience for it, which I always give because I have a lot of. Uh... Oh, there's definitely an audience for it. I oh yeah, I yeah. mean. Look at how much money Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm happy it's making money because I mean we're, we're we'll probably get to the the real positives in a moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because but, um, I think the positives outweigh the negatives on this one. Um, yeah. Yes, I ultimately recommend the movie. However, I am not going to lie. I think I was all while I think it's a good movie. Um, I was ultimately let down a little bit. Like I left thinking, well, that was pretty good because yeah. that trailer they cut was like. It pumps me up for something new, and yeah, while I, it's a little too conventional for what it set out to do, I think. Yeah, no, I agree, and, and I think that's mostly the Marvel machine, uh, yeah, and not and not the people working on this individual film, which is, I think, a reason why um, a certain Edgar Wright probably balked at the chance of making a Marvel movie yeah. ultimately, um, because yeah. with this movie is weird in, in a good way. But it's also highly conventional, as Robbie was saying. It still feels like a Marvel movie, which I completely understand. They want a consistent tone in all the films. But it's, I think that consistent tone is also creating a sort of um, repetitiveness, uh, yeah. which is one reason yeah. I haven't seen. Um, I hear the new Captain America is one of the best Marvel movies. but st- And I've, I actually would say that the first Captain America is one of my favorite of the series. Yeah. But... I haven't seen it yet because I'm afraid I'm going to go, well, yeah, I'm going to have the same exact feeling I have right now. I was like, well, that was a good way to spend two hours, but I was, was, I was excited about the winter. I was excited about the winter soldier when it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, because I thought it was actually kind of daring and asking some really interesting political questions. The more, but the more I've gone back on it, Mm -hmm. the more I've thought about it. I haven't, I haven't watched it again. There's an inclusion of a certain aspect of this comic book mythology that I think kind of undermines any of the political questions that the movie might be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, it's kind of hard to talk about without talking about it, which would be spoilerific for people like y'all that haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still recommend it. I still think that, you know, as far as a superhero movie movie goes, it's incredibly well done. It's much more memorable than Thor, the dark world. Um, but I, I don't know. I'll have to, Watch that one. I'll have to take another look at that one and see how I think think about it. Oh yeah, yeah. See, I have a similar experience as TJ because I, I 
have been almost boycotting Marvel ever since I was honestly underwhelmed by the Avengers. Um, and I figure, you know, this is supposed to be the mecca of, of Marvel movies. And if I don't like this one very much, then I mean, how am I going to really enjoy anything else? So I, I, I've skipped Captain America, despite I, what I heard about the political angle being really interesting. I'm so open to seeing it. Um, but Guardians, I was almost going to skip it. And then I'm glad I saw it because it did have these comedic elements that were great and did have these eccentric characters and this tone and the use of music and style that set it apart. However, the, the thing is with Marvel is, um, you know, there's like this uh, requirement they seem to have for the movie to still adhere to a certain formula and a certain kind of feel and tone that the, the studio has. And the yeah. problem is I would maybe be even okay with that if I felt like it was a really, you know, unique vision or something. Yeah. But it's a pretty yeah. generic, like, style that Marvel has. You know, I feel yeah. like it's just this, like, you know, just wash of superhero films all look and feel the same. And they don't really feel like any anything groundbreaking. You know, this is the closest a superhero film from Marvel has come to feeling... Uh, groundbreaking for me, and there's still several passages of, of kind of just yeah, roteness, you know. Yeah, yeah, like it really makes me lament what could have been with the whole Ant Man concept. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, because uh, I don't know, I don't even want to go too far into that because it's not that's not even a movie that is has to anything to do with this movie. Instead, we get exactly. the Peyton Reed Ant Man. <laughs> Remind me who that dude is again. I don't even. Uh, yes, man. Uh, oh, oh goodness! I think Bring It On. Uh, well, that's that was another one I liked when I was younger. By the way, um, <laughs> well, that's, and also that's uh, the, the screenplay is getting doctored by Adam McKay of Anchorman. Oh yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I mean, Adam McKay has been been good in yeah certain contexts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so let's talk. So we've been really negative. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we all liked the movie, right? Attacking yeah. Thanos, the hands of fate. Um, but uh, <laughs> mystery science theory three thousand reference. Yeah, but yeah. So by the way, I finally figured out what that was called. Um, it's for our listeners who was like, why does he not know the name of the thing he's talking about? Man, Manos, the hands of fate. Yeah. But um, let's get to the positives. Um, that soundtrack is cheesy. In the best possible way. In the best way. possible way, yeah. There's a sound cue, and most people have seen this movie right now, so I don't care about spoiling it. There's a music cue of the Pina Colada song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that is... Uh, I had no words. I had no words for it. The, <laughs> it's um, so funny. I, I mean, I would say there are three spectacular cheesy uh, music moments for, for me. The Pina Colada one would probably be my close to that three uh the opening uh title to a uh, red bone or whatever uh yeah. w- w- whenever he's dancing around the, the planet by himself star lord uh played yeah. by the really funny chris pratt whose performance i want to get to um also the of course the uh the hooked on a feeling when they're in the jail which is yeah what they really advertise and then the the final uh climactic battle between Ronan and, and Star Lord. Oh, yeah. definitely, yeah. <laughs> Which was actually my favorite part of the whole movie because I did not expect that would be the way that their fight would um, happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what, what's his name? Brandon something? Uh, Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper. Wow, Bradley. 
<laughs> I'm I'm great. I'm great at podcasting today, guys. Bradley <laughs> Cooper as Cooper. as as Rocket, where you almost can't even tell that it's him. He's pulling, he's putting on this. Voice. It is a really great voice performance, I thought. Oh yeah. And I love oh, yeah. the running gag that only he can understand what I am Groot means. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very Han Solo Chewbacca. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's totally. that's totally their relationship. I think this movie owes a lot to Star Wars. Yeah, so I, definitely very. In a, in a lot of ways, in, in, in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think visually it owes a lot to the prequels too. I, I would compare a lot of the the special effects here yeah. to the the battle scenes of attack of the second two prequels. I would think. Yeah. Uh, uh, similar like space opera kind of thing that George Lucas was trying. For. Yeah. And that's probably what makes me dig this a little bit more than some other Marvel movies because it doesn't. I mean, obviously they're fighting to save the galaxy, but it has that it has a fun, whim, sort of whimsical, space opera element. I mean, it reminds me, probably more than any other Star Wars film, it reminds me of uh, uh, the first one, uh, A New Hope, uh, in that you know that really was just about getting a getting a ragtag group of group of people together just to defeat, uh, sort of execute a mission. Uh, you know, a bunch of people that. Otherwise, wouldn't be together and wouldn't fit in together, but they do, and they create have to create a unit, and they become friends in the in the process. And I I found what saved what made this movie really really fun for me was the relating between the characters, mm-hmm. um, how they talk to each other, uh, j- just how they were able to sort of connect and become a group. At some points, I almost found it not. Moving is not the right word. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some parts are pretty moving, especially a couple of touching scenes towards the end, where they have to really, really work together. And I really, I really dug, I really dig Zoe Saldana in these sort of newer. She's she's almost like this newer science fiction hero in a way, because she's in the Star Trek movies, which I don't remember a whole lot of her in, but. Uh, she's in something I don't else too. Remember a lot of any characters in Star Trek movies. That's a good. Honest. That's a. That's <laughs> a good. That's a good point, I guess. Yeah. But I really, but, di- I yeah. really, I really dig her in this, and all these characters. I've read this in some other reviews. So I'm stealing this, but all these characters have experienced grief in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Saddest moment in the movie involved Rocket, actually. I would say. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He has a couple of lines that are just like. Man, that that went deep, and it's yeah. I mean, no spoilers, but it's while he's drunk too, so that's probably yeah. that's pretty funny. That's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then, like, uh, this movie begins in a really awkward way. I thought the first scene is oh, like, with the, with what? The, the mother, yeah, the the mother, yeah. yeah it's just like that, I was, yeah, I was a little worried when I saw that too. I was this, like, wow, I thought this was gonna be funny. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like, <laughs> way to bum me out, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> It is a touch melodramatic, but then that's a. Oh, I'll let you finish your thought, but I have a, something I wanted to say about that. I don't think I had any other thoughts, but yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I, I just wanted to say I, that was, I think, uh, almost worth it for the contrast against the scene. The opening he starts dancing. The opening uh, title sequence. Yeah, the opening title. When sequence. the gar- when the title of the Guardians of the Galaxy shows up, it's <laughs> the whole theater. Kind of erupted up with laughter just because, like, that's yeah. how that's how you're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, because it totally. That's the thing with this movie. What it feels like to me is just this constant, like, 
kind of almost struggle and i don't mean that necessarily that the film feels like odd tonal tonal yeah exactly it's just like this constant battle between tones and and it starts out like really melodramatic and you know feels like oh it's gonna be another really super serious gritty you know superhero movie in 2014 like every other superhero movie has to be nowadays and uh then that moment in the opening title sequence when chris pratt pulls out his walkman or whatever and starts like boogieing to funk music um and like the you know title just comes sliding across the screen or whatever i forgot how it enters but the point is it's just such a such a goofy moment that like yeah totally and, and the film follows that formula where it goes back and forth between these two tones um until that becomes like the the kind of um mark of the movie and my problem is just that sometimes those stretches where it's just generic marvel superhero yeah tone like is going for too long like whenever yeah. ronan ronan shows up whenever oh, gosh, they had his yeah. scenes just like oh come on okay get back to the get back <laughs> to the character and thankfully that yeah. was only, it was only a couple minutes and then they go back to the characters and it's fun yeah um, i just want to go back to uh to drax or whatever just be very literal with everything yeah yeah it, it's it's funny with drax because it would not go over my head <laughs> yes that's the, catch it. that was the joke that got the biggest laugh from me yeah yeah <laughs> uh and I also like how the, I mean, it's almost also worth it for the really weird, awkward, melodramatic beginning for the fact that that adds importance to the Walkman. And, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, like, like it, it, it works uh, thematically. Like, that, I mean, the, the story is clicking at, at those points. And it adds some characterization. The performance is, um, I would say Chris Pratt, I look at him and I'm like, you know, his range isn't that great, but he has this charisma that yeah. he reminds me of sort of old school actor, you know, where where he knows how to say lines and he knows how to hold his body in a way that makes him think that's that's like a movie star. He reminds ex- me. He reminds me of a young Harrison Ford. Something like that. Yeah. No, I could see that uh, because I, I just rewatching the Indiana Jones movies. I forget how, or even the Star Wars movies. I forget that how witty Ford could be because nowadays he's so grizzled. It yeah. has no personality whatsoever. Um, yes. but, but back in the day, he was very funny. Um, uh, hearing him do a fake Scottish accent in The Last Crusade, it was particularly surprising <laughs> to remember. I didn't even watch that. <laughs> but, um, but it's just, but yeah, no, I think that's a good comparison. Because I wouldn't expect him to be able to do Hamlet, but I totally expect him to be able to do these star roles. And he's the opposite of boring white guy syndrome that we get in so many of these actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like Harry Henry Cavill and yeah, like etc. 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 Oh man, yeah, it was such a drag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's one of those movies. It's one of those movies where when I hear people try to defend it, I just end up hating it more. It's just like 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 Like, people like people's defenses of it, like defending the last hour. Of that movie specifically is just like uh, the, the uh, hour long. Let's destroy buildings and probably kill several thousands of people, like all in the name of. But I'm Superman, and I'm de- I'm defend everyone. Like, oh. <laughs> screw you, uh, Rocket. Ro- uh, someone posted this on Twitter. Rocket saved more people than Superman. Uh, <laughs> yep, pretty much. Man of Steel, which yeah. was a weird moment for me. I would say I I didn't expect him to be so heroic. Like I felt like. It was a, a very abrupt change in character. Even though he is a hero, ultimately, I feel like hmm. I, I was questioning it a little bit. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Because 
because the ultimate, the, the first motivation of all these characters were either money or revenge or both. Yeah. 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 And then they kind of become heroes at the end and it's, you know, not the most elegant of changes, but I ulti- I ultimately bought it. Like, yeah, it didn't, ultimately. didn't, it, it didn't totally bother me. Uh, I'll make sure to look for the rock for the rocket thing specifically next time I see it. Mm. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing with that that I really did like at first, I was like, oh great, you know, these are heroes that like aren't really like Superman, where they're just like, you know, I do this because I am perfect or whatever. You know, they're they're in it for believable reasons. Like these are essentially, you know, I don't know, criminals or whomever who are getting in it for selfish reasons. And then the the thing is there's that line between, okay, these are people who are like flawed, but not horrible. And then there's like Ronan who's on a, just a different level. And there's these different levels of, uh, you know, of, I don't know, like selfishness that kind of make them saying, well, Hey, you know, sure. I want to like make a ton of money and, you know, not have to worry about anything, but like, I still don't want to see everyone die. You know, like they're not mm. manic. They're not psychopaths like no. uh, like Ronan is. So I think that becomes I mean, I think anyone who isn't actually like kind of crazy would with if presented with the opportunity to save the entirety of humanity would 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 go for it, right? That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um I think so. okay. So, I think we're all in agreement basically on this. I might be a little bit a touch more positive than y'all, but um, who knows? I, I mean, might... yeah, yeah, um, perhaps, but I did, I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I was avoiding, actively avoiding Marvel movies, and I'm so tired of superhero movies, and for me to actually like this, um, like, pretty considerably is definitely a good thing. Yeah. A couple of quick points I want to touch on, that I know we don't have super much time to talk about this, but this should be quick, is one thing, TJ, you mentioned in your letterbox review that I completely agree with, is that Marvel still is having trouble writing interesting female characters, because Zoe Saldana, you know, say what you will about her performance, but the character itself I did not find very interesting. I think she was easily the least interesting of the of the bunch. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. I found him more interesting than Drax the Killer or whatever the Drax hell. Drax the Destroyer. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, I would agree that she's more interesting than Drax and Groot, but Drax and Groot having a, a trump card and yeah, and being yeah. one that's common. I guess I guess what I should you know uh, amend that statement. Not necessarily like you know yeah sure Groot and Drax have much less interesting like dramatic elements like you know there's but they're mostly they're more comedic characters especially groups. yeah they're more inner yeah they're definitely more uh, magnetic presence because zoe saldana's character relies on her drama because she's the only character that doesn't really have much comedic uh yeah uh, yeah, she's she's the most serious and Uh, yeah and maybe that kind of brings her down a little bit now now that now that i think about it um Although Groot does have a very touching moment at the end. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Groot yeah. Um, is the MVP of the movie, in my opinion. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a uh, you know, pretty reasonable assertion. He's, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we need to move on. Yeah. Or, no unless you, do you have one more. One uh, other, I mean, all I was going to say is that Dave Batista kind of took me by surprise because at first – I felt like, oh no, this guy cannot act to save his life. But then I realized, like, wait a minute, it's part of his character, and they really yeah. use that well. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was kind of like my initial very negative reaction to uh, Tilda Swinton in uh, Snowpiercer. Oh, yeah. And then by the uh-huh. ha- by halfway through the movie, when all the other zany stuff starts happening, I realized, oh wait, 
it's actually supposed to be this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the same thing can be said for Vin Diesel. I mean, I don't, it's pretty, it, it's impressive he could get so many different reactions from I am Groot. Yeah, no. And ultimately, you know, the moral of the story that we are Groot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. So, all right, so next up we have uh, the ad- adaptation of the Jean Le Carré novel of the same name, A Most Wanted Man. Uh, any of y'all want to uh, – well, I'll describe, I'll, I'll describe the plot. Um, okay. it, it requires a little bit of a history lesson. The, gu- the guys that conspired the 9-11 attack conspired it – I just used conspired twice – from the port city of Hamburg, Germany. And – you know, sort of a lack of intelligence efforts allowed them to carry out with their plans without any sort of infiltration on the part of the city's government. Since 2001, the city has been kind of put under a lockdown as far as intelligence goes. And they're much more paranoid and much more sort of secure, uh, trying to be secure about any potential terrorist threats. An intelligence organization run by Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Gunther, I forgot his last name. Uh, Bachman, I think. Gunther Bachman is investigating uh, a Chechenian rebel who has possible ties to another uh, possible terrorist guy who runs a shipping organization in Hamburg. The, there's a struggle in this film over whether to keep following this Chechenian guy to get to the higher up. I to get to the badder bad guys and get to the badder guys, or what the rest of the government wants them to do is to just arrest them now, because that's sort of the state that we live in. And I think that this film does a really interesting job of kind of painting this post nine eleven panic surveillance state. We that was kind of having a global sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, any parallels to we have to the way America operates is clearly intentional. Oh, but absolutely. globally, this is kind of where we're at right now. Um, so, you know, in, in a lot of the sort of post 9-11 espionage movies that have come out ever since 9-11, of course, most of them have been kind of forgettable. I found this to be better than The Bunch. And I don't know if it's because of John Licoray's style, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of comparisons you can make to, uh, of course, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which was also adapted from a John Le Carre novel a few years ago um, with Gary Oldman and John Hurt and all that. And I just really love that cold, caustic... It It's like a spy thriller with all the thriller, just all the blood sucked out of it, and you just get this cold, just impersonal uh, universe. Uh, you got that big time with Tinker Taylor. You don't get that atmosphere as much here, but I still really, I still, I, I still really enjoyed looking at this film. I love, I enjoyed just sort of figuring out, okay, what's, what, 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 what's this character thinking about doing compared to what that character, what that character's intentions are. And the theme of trying to make the world a better place and the different ways that all these different organizations are trying to go about it and how they conflict with that. The bureaucracy, um, of it all. bureaucracy of it all. Um, so, what did y'all think? Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna wait for Danny to go. Nah, um, just go ahead first. I like to go last in this one, actually. All right. The um, with this film, I would put it in my top ten of 
favorite films of the year so far. Sweet. And there are several reasons. Ultimate, I mean, the ultimate reason has to go to the performances for me, especially... From Phil Seymour Hoffman. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Phil Seymour Hoffman gives one of his, his better starring roles. It's, this doesn't reach the heights of The Master or... Um, Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, absolutely. Um, but I think that he gives such an understated performance and creates yeah. this character through his facial expressions, through his body... Uh, there are so many opportunities for him to be really hammy or to um, over overplay, and he never does. He finds the perfect balance of a character. And I even mean, and even his even the typical Philip Seymour Hoffman's explosion of emotion yeah. are are so rare and startling. And and due to the plot, I mean, when he gets to the end of this movie, his final line. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very pick fuck like moment. Yes, yeah. and. <laughs> It's been building up towards that moment. Yes. Because his yeah. character is yeah. a sort of Shakespearean um, hero uh, that the big reason why the climax happens is because of the bureaucracy, because yes. of, mm-hmm. of all of these outside all of these outside elements. But what happens to him, he does to everyone else as well. He is while we like him, we want him to succeed. He is still a spy. He still uses people for the greater good. Yeah, but and he tries he, to have the best and the best of intentions with it. Absolutely, he tries to have the best. Yeah. He tries to have the best of both worlds too. He tries yeah. to he tries to be the 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 shining star of of truth in that he wants yeah. he wants what's best for the world. He wants a safer world. And you can but, argue, and you can argue that the other people that are kind of his higher-ups want that too, but they want to go about it in a completely different way. Absolutely. And I think ultimately most people are going to leave this movie agreeing with the Philip Seymour Hoffman way or or the Gunter way. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. We sympathize with him more. Absolutely. And uh, one reason, I mean, he has all these great scenes where he's by himself drinking. He looks so exhausted. And he's just completely... um, I mean, he he, he failed his previous... uh, mission what where was it beirut or beirut yeah yeah uh he failed that and that's weighing heavily on him he's weighing heavily on the potential of failing in the future because with espionage i mean nothing's guaranteed but his the the, the great acting moments are the conversations the, yeah. in the diner with robin wright was as cinematic as almost anything i've seen this year it was just magnetic those two actors play so well off each other and also, yeah. anytime even though she's play... even though she's wearing an awful wig. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> her hair was a bad choice, but her it was performance... just to make sure she doesn't look too much like a character from House of Cards. <laughs> yeah, no, right. no, it's true. Actually, for a split second, I thought it was Glenn Close. I never realized that they had any sort of <laughs> yeah. similar, fi- which is funny because I watched. Because she movie. was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Exactly, I watched <laughs> this. Like, this movie ended 15 minutes before I walked into Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so I was like, wait, no, that's Glenn Close. What? No, I mean, I figured it yeah. out by the end of the movie. Yeah. But also <laughs> his re- his relationship with the people he works with. Um, who, the actress who plays the, uh, sh- she has blonde hair. She, she's one of the spies. She's probably, she seems like the second in command. We're getting that actress's name. But she also plays really well off of Philip Seymour Hoffman. He the plays Nina well Haas, off. I think. Yes, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and, and him playing with civilians, too. Him playing with the banker played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah, um, like well, I, I, I think, real, I think he had the best German voice in the whole film. Uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe, yeah. I, yeah, 
I mean, I mean, I mean, Phyllis Seymour Hoffman is great, but I'm especially critical of actors that try to do German accents because you know I know I know this shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know German is my first language, and I I just know what these are supposed to sound like. And mm-hmm. speaking of, we just talked about Marvel. By far the worst German accent I've heard in a movie in years was Stanley Tucci in the first Captain America film. <laughs> oh, good lord. Oh, no one – there is not a single German person in the world that pronounces that like that. Not a <laughs> single one. Not a single one. Those do not exist. They are fairy tale characters. Two super quick digressions. One, my question, is Ray Fiennes uh, German accent good and Liam Neeson's in Schindler's List? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Liam Neeson is good. Um, Ray Fiennes and what? Schindler's List. Oh, Schindler's List. I don't – I didn't have any problems with the accent oh, I just, any of that. I, I, was just, I was just wondering because I just watched that. And also, Kate Blanchett, one of the greatest actresses alive, terrible Russian accent in Indiana. Mm-hmm. In, 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 so in Indiana for – well, which, she's, she's the least terrible thing about Indiana for. Well, actually – well, uh, well that would be a different conversation. That's but, a different conversation. Um, yeah, but I actually didn't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it either, but we're talking about most one of them. Yeah, no. All right, which is a much, much, much better movie. Um, the 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 (laughs) last thing, the last thing I really need to say about this, like in turn, because uh, to piggyback off what you've been saying, because you were talking about the plot and how I I also really like the plot and the tone of this film. It it, it, it's a puzzle box, and it makes more sense as it goes along. Because for a while, you're like, okay, what's happening? Okay, and and it reveals itself, and by the end, you understand, which is perfect for this kind of movie. The the what I really loved almost as much as the performances though is the is the sort of static cinematography the the use of the architecture of Hamburg and even the use of architecture of interiors that apartment exactly that that apartment that uh, Issa Karpov has to be in is so thematic and symbolic of what they're they're trying to accomplish and the thing is like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy took place in the 70s so it looked got the architecture and the interior is just right for that this film is it takes place in the 21st century but you're in hamburg where you still have all that brutalist architecture that you know especially in the interiors just looks so 70s just naturally that's just how it looks and i think it's you know you get all these big menacing like corporate looking buildings and that kind of adds another level of you know once again the bureaucracy element of this film Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. Like it's form fits function, and that's why it really worked for me. Um, and there are also some nice angles and things that sort of imply this uh, thing. And the final tracking shot to go against the more static shot. Oh man, yeah, so it's great. just it's of course it, it exists for you to think about what just happened for you to reflect just as much as um, Gunter is reflecting. And I don't know. I, I just yeah. thought the craft. It makes yeah. me want to go see the American uh, that the director also did. With, I heard it wasn't as good. Um, I, I'm only intrigued because Ebert liked it, and I, I, I agree. Like, it didn't get as good reviews as this film's getting, but I, I'm still intrigued to maybe catch on Netflix. There's also the Ian Curtis uh, biopic. Oh yeah, he did Control, which I really, I really dug. I've not I, seen. I, it. I really want to. I really want to rewatch. Re, bleh, rewatch that. Yeah, that was really good. Okay, yeah. I want to. I, I want to finish by noon. So, uh, Danny, you still have to. Get your thoughts in. Yeah, I have to ring in. Honestly, I won't say much on this one. I, I, I liked it for the same reasons you guys did. I think I just liked it a little bit less. Um, it, it's kind of hard to articulate exactly why it just hit me a little less for, you know, I don't know. Like It, uh, is, a little, it, it is a little bit detached. It's Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what it was. It's just that, you know, as much as I was like, okay, this is appropriate to be so detached, 
you know, and every stylistic choice here seems appropriate. It wasn't like I was like, felt like the tone was just wrong or anything like that. But I think it's just, I don't know, something about it just kind of helped me at a little bit of a distance. Um, yeah. Yeah, there isn't, you know. there, there might be, there might not be as much tension in this film as you would think or in, the, there yeah. would be in some other spy thrillers. And I've, I've heard similar criticisms levied against it. I've also yeah. read a couple of negative reviews that say, well, people are only praising this film because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's last performance. Uh, uh, that yeah. doesn't that doesn't make sense because uh, God's Pocket got panned. Yeah. For the most yeah. Part, so. And also, the no. most offensive criticism I've read is that Philip Seymour Hoffman only plays so. He his his performance only seems so weathered and tired because of his heroin addiction, which. Oh gosh. Oh, God. That, that's that's just offensive. Yeah, that's actually that's, offensive. That's that's yeah. yeah no. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean. It's. I definitely liked it. Like it's. It's a. It's a really good movie. Um. And I knew going into it, it was going to be more like, you know, like you said, spy thriller with the thriller like sucked out of it. Like because yeah. I read about we, the, this director's style and and you know, and the way that this author's books translate to film. I mean, and yet still, I just was a little at a distance. Um, but it's certainly interesting. Like especially the struggle between like the way America kind of is approaching foreign affairs at the moment and like how, you know, just bureaucracy kind of plays into the, these kinds of struggles. I mean, there's certain interesting things at play. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there's just only so much I can get into the, the style of it, even though, yeah, performances were great too. It was definitely a solid movie that I'd, I'd recommend. Yeah. All right. So we all at least like it. Okay. I'm going to briefly talk about Yodorowsky's Dune. It's a document. Um, it's a documentary that was in theaters a few months ago, but it's now on DVD and on demand, so it will double as my DVD pick of the week as well. Um, it is a really terrific documentary about uh, sort of the planning stages of what was to be Alejandro Yodorowsky's uh, adaptation of the novel, of the sci-fi novel Dune. Which was largely considered to be unfilmable, and you know, judging by the Lynch version, apparently it was. Um, but this film, it—it's not just. It, well, it—it it, it works in a lot of different ways. I mean, if you're a fan of Yodorowsky, obviously you want to hear about his really insane ideas he had for this film. Really, they were nuts what he had cooking in his mind for this, and just goes to show he—he he was just a man with. Well, what he's still alive. He's just a man with this unbelievable imagination. Like his, mm. like his mind was just ex, just expanding with all these insane images, and yeah. how he got he got together with H.R. Giger, who recently passed away, and David O'Connor, and all these different artists and comic book writers and all that, and try to make this film, and how. You know, it's this really bizarre and really important Hollywood story because even though this film never got never got made, and the reason it never got made was strictly for money reasons, that the studio liked everything about the film but didn't did not like Yodorowsky. They hmm. were almost kind of afraid of his extreme, his strange imagination. But you can kind of see how the the development of this film. And the ideas it created kind of rippling into other products. 
for for one thing, David O'Connor, who I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'm getting his name right, and H.R. Giger, they met on this film and they mm-hmm. collaborated later on Alien. H.R. Giger, of course, designed Alien, designed a lot of the parts of it, a lot of the sets of Alien, and David O'Connor wrote Alien. And without Alien, you don't get you don't get a whole you know th- there's a whole bunch of sci-fi you don't you just don't get. Oh, absolutely. And and even Star Wars took a lot of it a lot of influence from sort of the fights and the framing of this film and they and they they give these these examples really clearly in the film and it's it's also a really moving oddly moving story because it kind of is a celebration of imagination regardless of the the kind of hollywood bureaucracy again with the bureaucracy getting yodorowsky down it's it, it was moving kind of how he was able to continue on and he put a lot of his ideas from this book or, f- or from this film into comic books that he would later illustrate with one of the artists they worked on with this film and he would let his ideas just roam free through that medium. It's also kind of telling that the Hollywood system, even back back then and still even now, it does not yet prioritize art before it does commerce. And, you know, it's still very producer-led and not director-led. I, I found that, I, I find it to be a really interesting look at that kind of system and how it can be really inhibiting to artists at times. Yeah. It's, a really fa- it's, just, it's just a really fascinating chapter of film history to me. And just this collision of creative minds that just exploded and never made it into a single film, but just went into so many different directions and influenced so many other things that at least science fiction cinema would not, it, it just would not be the same mm-hmm. without this happening, even though obviously the film never got made. Also, the mm-hmm. cast of this movie would, would have been insane. Yet David Carradine, Orson Welles, um, Salvador Dali, Mick Jagger. I mean, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Like all the, I'm probably forgetting some, but like the amount of people he had tied to this project was insane. And yeah, I think it's a really fascinating movie. It's it's one of my favorite documentaries of this year, easily. Mm. Um, TJ, I have a really interesting question. Or not really. I have an interesting question for you. Um, and you don't uh, need, you don't need to have seen a Yodorowsky film to like this film to appreciate what he did. I'm sorry, I just wanted to make that. Point. No, no, it's okay. Um, I was kind of stuttering anyway. Now I have my thoughts together. I have a question for you, TJ, because you mm-hmm. have seen the Lynch Dune, and I don't think either of us have seen the Lynch Dune. Um, no, I have. And I want to know. You have not, right? Robbie? No, no. Okay, yeah. I want to know what in in summary what makes it so bad. The Lynch Dune. Um... It's an, it's another example, like I was alluding to by talking about Indiana Jones Four, where, I mean, ultimately it's not one, of, it's not Strange World, it's not one of the <laughs> worst movies of all time because there are parts to like. I like Kyle MacLachlan in the film. I like Kyle MacLachlan uh-huh. in everything. Though. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's turgid. It's it's slow. Like it's kind of ugly. Like. Yeah, it is ugly, and I'm okay with ugly because I love Eraserhead. Well, yeah. but Eraserhead yeah. is ugly and in a bad way. Yes, exactly. Dune is just not 
appealing to look at and i i like Eraserhead for the same reason i like Eraserhead for the reason that i don't like dune in that regard um the direction is fine in the movie i think if they would have let lynch do what he wanted to do it would have at least been yeah, a good it, movie it seemed to be a situation where he clearly did not get that get as much control which i think was one of the big deals about why yodorowsky's dune didn't didn't get the money it wanted to make because it was too unhinged you know yeah. for, for hollywood and um and the voiceover the oh good the, lord i mean I, I i'm a big terrence malick fan so it's not like i hate voiceover for yeah the sake of, but uh it, it's the bad kind of voiceover we're going um to tonally we're going to tonal- do we're gonna be doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> look up in the sky I'm always between two do. forces. I'm always between two forces, God and Lynch. Um, but it's there's the way of nature. And there's the it's the way of the sandworm. Um, but Terrence Malick's Dune. That's a movie I want. To see. Uh, <laughs> It'd probably be terrible. Um, we keep looking at sand blowing in the wind. Um, but it's just it doesn't exhilarate. It doesn't feel. I mean, why watch that when you can watch Star Wars? Um, yeah. Is it going to have? Because its weirdness is not Lynch weirdness. Its weirdness is tonal uh, lack of control. Hollywood miscalculation weirdness. Basically. Yes. Yeah. With Sting in it some, for some reason. Yes. Oh, really? oh yeah. Oh, God. It, he's, uh, okay, so um, P, uh, bros who like 300, whenever I think about that, I'm like, isn't that funny? Because I think... I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way. I think it's so. Is, it's so gay. It's such a yeah. Gay it's movie. one of the gayest movies ever, and I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with homoeroticism, and it makes sense for the Greeks. But Sting is one of the gayest performances I've ever seen, and that's. I mean, it. it and it actually kind of works. I mean, it, it's again, it's not an insult. Um, it's just it's very homoerotic uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I just no, want to okay. I, so I, I once turned to my brother and go, "Wait, you refuse to watch Brokeback Mountain, but you watch 300." And <laughs> he goes, "It's different." Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna say, there's a scene where Yodorowsky describes his reaction to uh, D- David Lynch's Dune. I'm not gonna give away what it is. You'll have to see the movie to figure out what it is. But it is golden when he when he gets to it. So. Okay, yeah. I'm excited to watch this. this is right. So now we're going to get to the point that we've been waiting for our discussion of boyhood. If oh, you... wait. I thought we were talking about Into the Storm. <laughs> Step up all in 3D. <laughs> um, so heed our warning from the, from the beginning of the podcast. If you have not seen Boyhood, it might be best to turn off now. I don't know if there will exactly be spoilers. Probably, there probably will. So and, and if you don't, I mean, you'll 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 freak out because we'll tell you that uh, Mason Jr. gets run over by a car at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So bad for you. We we warned you. Yeah. So yeah. So it's best to turn off the podcast right now. So bye, people. Bye, non-spoiler people. <laughs> okay. So Boyhood is the best movie of 2014. I would agree. But TJ does not. I need more time. I'm just it's, messing with you, man. No, yeah. no, I know. It, it's really great. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's really great. I think yeah. it's I think it's basically perfect. You know, he, here's here's the thing about Boyhood for me, which I think is great. Like this is what I really like about it. 
because of what it's trying to accomplish in its form, any sort of like narrative like weirdness or like narrative flaw or sloppiness, like you just attribute, well, that's real life. Like, mm-hmm. like you look at it and you're like, um, oh, that moment was a little awkward there or that shift, but that's life. You know, sometimes things just happen. And like, I think that, that, that this film does a really great job of capturing uh, mm-hmm. realism, almost like cinema verte, but not like in its... Not, not in, in a documentary like, sense, exact. which is what it usually is. Yeah, mm. exactly. But but like it's catching just it's almost like neorealism in a way in that regard, which is always a big influence of Linklater. He loves the neorealist. Uh, that was an influence for his before movies, um, which mm-hmm. I think yeah. is a precursor to this, and a during yeah. cursor as he filmed uh, <laughs> uh, the latter two before movies, since they were both made during the. Uh, during the filming of this movie, which took, as you all probably know, 12 years. Um, I think the the first thing we should start by talking about is the style, just sort of how it works. Yeah. There's a lot of uses of, you know, because these shooting periods were very quick shooting periods over 12-year spans and everyone ages in real time. There's a lot of uses of narrative ellipses, Mm -hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I thought there were some moments where it's really obvious that a year has passed, and then there's another other moments where you're like, "Oh yeah, I, I, now we're at a point where a year has passed." So certain characters that you have seen previously just leave, and um, or just are reintroduced. Uh, and I thought mm-hmm. that could be really annoying for some people. For me, I thought that it was really interesting. Oh yeah. Um, okay. and I just. I think that I think that this is almost the culmination of everything that Linklater has done in his entire career. Um, I mean, for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not as trippy as Waking Life. Or it's not as overtly philosophical as some of his other movies. But there's an authenticity to this movie that is like you—you you could call documentary like, but that's almost not even. Yeah. Like you can't, you couldn't make a documentary about this. I, I mean, similar stuff has, has been made. You know, a lot of people have been citing Hoop Dreams or the, the Up, the uh, Up series, series yeah. Up series, which I still haven't even watched any of them. I still haven't seen Up uh, Hoop Dreams for that matter. But it's almost like for something this expansive, it's almost like uh, I don't even know. I, I don't even have words for what this movie does. It's kind of this. I've never seen this wide a part of someone's life just communicated so uh, with such specificity yet so much universality. Does that yeah. make any sense? Like, yeah, it totally does. Like you know, it's 2006 when they're playing with when they're playing with the Wii's or whatever, and you know that you know you know what year it is when certain things happen, and, and there are certain callbacks to you know where we yeah. are in time. But just the ideas that this movie is bringing forward are for any for any kind of time period in any age, and I really like I don't like I don't like to use the word masterpiece very often, but I think this is I think this is a masterpiece, honestly. Hmm. I will it, use the M word. Yeah, I think the cinematic influence that that struck the most with me. I mean, I haven't seen the the Up series of documentaries. I mean, people have compared it to Mad Men in the way that uh, that uh, Sally Draper grows up, or any television show. 
really yeah. where you watch uh, someone grow up. But I think I think Truffaut's The Four Hundred Blows is really the um, oh, interesting. Is really the uh, well, what you said, Rod. We, well, and, and those films grow because there are three more Antoine Duanel films um, uh, that are not as good, but do sort of progress the aimlessness of that boy character. He never, you know that he never figures it out. He's going to spend the rest of his life um, kind of just observing and and just being a part of it. And with 400 Blows, like, it's very it's very specific, but it's also very relatable kind of like boyhood for me um that it's one reason i really like this movie because it sort of has that callback in a way and, and, and he's mentioned the dwanell films in interviews so it's not like i'm i've come oh, okay. up with some yeah like i haven't come up with like oh i have this great comparison guys that i came up with through my i mean but the foreign yeah. blows for, <laughs> but tonally foreigner blows is totally the one that it, it matches up with not the latter dwanell films yeah and like i think it has a lot to say about I think it's really interesting a film about memory too is yeah. almost I regret or not 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 regret I don't want to compare this to this movie too much because it its ideas are very different but it's almost like how the tree of life was almost it it played out like Sean Penn's memories of his okay. youth um this is almost a recollection of the past 12 years of Mason's life at the age that Mason is at the end of this film. Mason, of course, played by L.O. Coltrane, who has only been in a couple of other movies. I think one of them is Fast Food Nation, which was another Linklater film. It kind of plays with recollection. I think there's only... I think there's one or two scenes that he's not in. For the most part, that's what this film felt like for me, because a lot of it felt very personal. Like, personal things that don't matter much to other movies. Like, you don't really show a character just, like, digging through the dirt and looking at the worms in the ground or just staring up at the sky. You don't focus on that in, quote, normal movies. And in, quote, normal movies that are typically coming-of-age stories, you usually get things like the prom or graduation or all that. And a lot of that stuff is skipped. Like, you don't mm. you don't see his graduation. You see the party after the graduation. Exactly. You don't get the normal... I mean, you, you get a somewhat conventional sort of high school romance, but that that's done with a lot of truth too. I think, and I don't think it wastes any time. I think it, it I think it has a point in shaping Mason's character at that time, and how he ultimately gets over that by the end of the film, uh, and and kind of moves on with his life. And by the end of the film, of course, it's sort of like it's when his boyhood ends, kind of. And it ends at a really interesting place, but I think it's a, an appropriate place and a place that not many movies are comfortable with ending, but it just felt perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love how the, the movie ends on high logic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty Which, much. Which, I mean, he's, he's going to college. He, I mean, it, it, that, that is. It's like that cut to black after this great glance between the two characters, this awkward, like, you know, maybe setting the seeds of something, a friendship or something romantic or like, we don't know. Like that's the moment where he, he, he's entered manhood in a way. Um, uh, I really like that. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you about what you're saying about the memory 
uh, about that being sort of built into the movie, it feels like. Also, uh, Film Spotting talked about how the movie's themes also sort of discuss the idea of psychology. And, um, Interesting. And the Skinner box and the, uh, and the other one, uh, Pavlov's dog, and about how everyone in Mason Jr.'s life is trying to guide him, mold him, create him, oh, yeah. condition him. Positive and negative. Some of the advice he get is the exact advice you should give to a young man or yeah. a older boy. Even the manager at the, at the fish restaurant is like yeah. surprisingly, you know, useful as a not useful is a weird word, but you know, <laughs> valuable. <laughs> to, yeah. That's also a weird word, but you, you know what I'm saying. Oh no, yeah. The mm. um the speech. The most real moment for me in the film, this other than the fact that he had a Dragon Ball Z uh, obsession as a small child, um, <laughs> is yep. is when the teacher has him in the in the dark room. In the dark room, I've had that conversation with students. Yeah, uh, especially ones who are thinking about dropping out or things who are um, making bad choices with uh, uh, just personal problems, like. Yeah, and, and you and, and I see potential in that human being. I mean, not to get all personal, but you know what I mean. Like that's a very real conversation. TJ is a teacher for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. and um, um, I would also never be alone in a dark room with a student. That was a little awkward because <laughs> you well, always will, have. Well, well, they have a joke about that after he gets out. Like his yes, friend no, says, "Yeah, exactly." <laughs> you walk pretty funny out there, you know. Yeah, that, no, no, exactly. No, that's a, that's a good point, which is a joke that teenagers most definitely would make, which is why I would never put myself in that situation. Uh, but yeah. but that's a very real conversation, the the come to Jesus talk or whatever the the colloquial uh, way to describe it is. You know, Mason has a lot of potential as a as an artistic mind. In that, I mean, I don't think he's the world's greatest photographer, but I think that he has the potential. He has the creative thinking. And you look at him, and you want that you want him to succeed. You want him to go yeah. to college and learn the craft. Yeah, and in that and scene, well, I just want to say one more thing about the photography. No, you're good. In that good. scene, he says, you know, you have a lot of natural talent. You look at the world in an interesting way, and mm-hmm. at that time, you believe him because mm-hmm. this whole film, he's Mason is kind of a quiet kid. Yeah. Like he doesn't talk a whole lot, but like, well, it's not that he doesn't talk a whole lot. He is not an expressive, particularly like overtly, outwardly emotional kid. But he yeah. observes. He's a very observant kind yeah. of kid. You know, even in the youngest scenes, he looks at the world and all these in in these very interesting ways. And you believe it when that teacher says that. Well, what were you going to say next? Oh no, yeah, I mean, it, for pretty much that. That I mean, I mean, Mason's a very realistic person like like that's a kind of kid is sort of observant and you can see how observant he is when his dad offers him a beer towards the end of the movie does he take the beer no he doesn't want one he 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 sees what just you know taking a beer every time someone offers you one i mean i mean well we'll probably get to minor flaws later but the i mean a great quote the parade of drunken assholes um or stepfathers or whatever like he's not going to be the type of person i don't think to abuse substances um because he he's observed what that can cause. Yeah. Speaking of parade of drunken assholes, the there there are two specifically in the film. Um, the first one was very hard for me to watch. It was hard. Um, yeah. I also, um, I mean, okay. as as someone that has a history of that kind of shit in my family, it, mm-hmm. it's partic- it's particularly hard to watch. Uh, no, especially um, the driving stuff. That's 
yeah. No, no. I mean, and, and and it still felt very true. I also wonder if it's not. I mean, it's it's easily the biggest played up moment in the film. It comes relatively early, and I wonder if maybe. I, I wonder if the like like big dramatic loud moment because everything. Yeah, is so, I agree. Yeah. Um, I wonder if maybe that. I mean, granted, that happens obviously, but I wonder if both stepfathers are not a bit um, one dimensional in comparison to Ethan Hawke's character or Patricia Arquette's character, who are very three dimensional, well developed. I actually found the second stepfather to be. A really sad character. No, he was, uh, in my opinion, he's a much better character than the, uh, at least well-drawn, you can empathize with him on a certain level character than the first stepfather, who is the most, he's a, he's a slime bag. He's a bastard. Fuck that guy, because he is, you know, he's sort of hitting on his students, and he's, and he's, he's just a fucking asshole. (laughs) Like, he's so, like, he's so much an asshole, there's no way I I could see see, But you see why she marries him, because... She can't, you know. They're kind of in poverty in a way. Like no, that. no, absolutely. Yeah, they were working class poor essentially. You know, she's, she's putting herself to get her master's degree, and eventually she becomes a teacher. Which uh, again, psychology teacher, which is why that that interpretation. Oh figures. yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And that and that motherfucker was a was a psychology teacher too. Um, oh. But like, um, but yeah. But uh, like I th- the the scene think- where. Uh, go on. I'm sorry. No, I would say that that's really the only weakness for me is sometimes those scenes are played so big where not that I have a problem with them by themselves, but they feel so big in comparison to everything else that happens. Mm. I think that it was almost, I mean, going back to the memory thing, I think that could almost be just because that was a big kind of traumatic moment in his childhood. Good point. No, and yeah. it's, I remember, uh, you know, I have a history of stuff like that happening, and I remember stuff like that very vividly. Um, so maybe right. it, maybe it's just personal for me. I thought the scene where uh, how you see the development of his the second stepfather, where you just see him as again a student of Patricia Arquette, and then later as the as the dad, and just his development. I just thought was really sad because I bought him as a human being and you mm-hmm. kind of see him going from this really respectable kind of, um, you know, optimistic guy to, I mean, when he turns his back and you see what, yeah. what his job is, that's also another personal thing because I have yeah. an uncle who does what he does mm-hmm. and he is a motherfucker. Like mm-hmm. I, I do not talk to him. I do not, yeah. uh, I do not really associate with him because He's not a good guy, but you can you can see that that kind of job really screws you up. It mm-hmm. screws up your perceptions of people. It screws up you you as a person. You you see stuff that you you can't let go of. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that and he ha- and he has to do that, that because yeah. the economy is so bad. Like he has yeah. to take whatever jobs available to him. Yeah, remind exactly. me of what this job is. Uh. uh, uh a prison guard. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, he turns around, yeah. says corrections on his back. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. it's a great image because it, because you don't yeah. know. Like, is he a park ranger? Is he? Yeah, a or is sheriff? he? A, is he just a policeman? But he turns yeah. his back very briefly. If you blink, you might miss it, and it says corrections, and you're just like, oh man. Yeah, actually, that I that might have slipped me by, or I forgot because that that's that helps me analyze that character. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I I got to that like immediately just because 
of once again my personal reaction yeah to, to that is just like oh yeah i i know what that's like and yeah. how in in the next year you know where they're, they're filming and he's just he's just gone and yeah. kind of felt like okay well we, we went through all that the first time we don't need to go through all that again exactly and he probably wasn't he probably wasn't around for much of that if we and had to go just, through another divorce it would have been overkill oh uh, yeah it's just and yeah. it's just like and you saw that you know he he's a good guy, and he's been just dealt a bad card in life. But he, but he needs to go. He needs. He, he just needs to go. And also, if you it's if, if you think about time frame, it's as the recession. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saying that too helps me to kind of contrast him more with the first stepfather because it's it's true that he's not maybe drawn as well, um, the first one, because the second one, yeah, we get like, okay, you know, this is a guy who's been kind of scarred by war, kind of scarred by his current job as a prison guard. Um, and, you know, the way like masculinity plays into that, um, both of those jobs and how he, that big fight he has with Mason is kind of about masculinity and like filling that. Oh yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. That, that's a great point because he gets on him because, one of his friends like painted his nails black or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And he gives him some some shit for that. Um, that's a really great point. And and how telling is it that we're putting in all this time about we, uh, we talked about Mason a lot, but we're talking a lot about characters that aren't Mason. And we yeah, haven't even got the even... best two characters. The sister. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, the best three characters. Yeah. The dad. The actual dad. Yes. Yeah. So, so so let's so let's go and transition and let's talk about Ethan Hawke and then the, the other two as well because since we're talking about who, father, who figures, saw his development coming? Because I thought it was yeah. really true because people that does happen to people, but it's just like you almost kind of expect that in movies like this, he would just remain the, the deadbeat dad, a man child. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. no, his development is. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Also, every time he's back in the movie, I'm like, sweet. Because yeah. I, I love Ethan Hawke. I love, I love Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I, I love Ethan Hawke in original Linklater movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, if he's in yeah, a Linklater yeah. movie, I'm on board. <laughs> Same with Julie yeah. Delpy, actually. I've, like, Boy, I, think, I think I saw, I, I haven't seen the Three Colors movie that she did or a whole lot oh, yeah. of other movies. But like, I, I, I think I saw like saw part of one of the movies that she directed two days in Paris or something like that. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. And like, uh, I don't really care. But like in the before movies, she's great. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. same with Ethan Hawke. Like, you know, like, especially in his earlier films where you're trying to buy him as a romantic lead, it's like, yeah, whatever. But like now that he's kind of matured, uh, he's really, he's really fun to watch, especially in, in especially in these movies. Especially in ro- movies where he gets to bullshit and talk just for a while. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's very good at that. Like, even in interviews, he's pretty good at just... Oh, yeah, of course. Just just talking, which I, I think is, is him in, in his best moment when he's not trying to be too dramatic. Like, he's funny in Boyhood. Um, even early on when you, you get the feeling that he's the deadbeat dad, where Patricia Arquette and her mother have every right to be unhappy with him. I mean, he's essentially, like, if, if I'm... It's, thinking right he's irresponsible irresponsible. yeah he went up to alaska to go do something to be a musician and and to work and you know to to get away from raising his kids which now that he's decided to come back in their lives and the fact that he stays in their lives is actually very telling of of the development of his character and of course uh at the at the graduation party 
that was I just rolled. It was so funny. Where like he's talking to his old step, his old mother-in-law, you know, like, oh yeah, how you doing? Yeah, walks away, turns to his his wife, and goes, she is such a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course he's not perfect. He's still gonna yeah. have. Yeah. And then and then there's a qu- there's a quick line in the beginning of that scene where he's talking to his brother, I think, and he. The, the uncle of Mason, and he, and he says, you're in enemy territory right now, you know that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, like... so many little lines like that that just inform a whole lot of stuff. Exactly, yeah. like, he and Patricia Arquette are never going to be on good terms, but they both have one thing in common, is that they love their kids. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, they, and they're both doing their best, like, at least when the movie starts onward, they're both good, I mean, you get into the, oh, they're good parents, but, not, but they, I mean, I think essentially they're both trying their best. And you, see, yeah. you see, you see that in both of them. I mean, you could treat a lot, a, a lot of, uh, once again, quote, normal movies would treat a lot of characters in this movie with like a lot of mawkishness. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, there's one possible exception where where they're they're putting up Obama signs and they come across <laughs> this one conservative conservative oh, yeah. household, and this guy says, "Do do I look like a Barack Hussein Obama?" So, <laughs> yeah. I I I forgave that because I thought it was so funny and. Someone, steal the McCain like, sign. Steal the McCain sign. Yeah. And someone would be like that in Texas, so you know. But yeah, I mean, I think Linklater grew, Linklater grew up in Texas. Well, yeah, the, sure this is that very, existed there. Yeah, there's a very. And it's funny though. Yeah. But then there's a scene later in the movie where, um, Mason is what 13, 14, 15, something like that, and they go to Ethan Hawke's in-laws. It's when his baby is born, and for yeah. for Mason's birthday and. They give Mason uh, an engraved Bible and a and, and a rifle, and that yeah. scene could have been so like you know tongue in cheek or just you know and and, and and there were laughs from the crowd just because it was kind of a relatable thing, but it, it's, it, the gifts are given with great intentions and they're accepted grace yeah. graciously, and it's just kind of this nice little Texas moment, you know. Yeah, I mean it's. That's a genuine moment where, you know, it may seem a little silly to us Californians and TJ, who's not from California, but has similar views, I imagine. But, uh, you know, when it wasn't, there wasn't really anything inherently wrong with it. I mean, it was yeah, clearly well, yeah. a genuine moment of affection. Yeah, for of course. And, and, yeah. When, and when Mason asks, um, were we ever baptized? And Ethan Hawke just gives him this look like, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, I was not life. at all concerned with the state of your souls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and whenever he's like lightheartedly like bad talking his new in laws, like, you know, just it, it's very innocent. Like his wife, I hear you. And then, yeah, no, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a very well done. Like, but like that whole sequence is very well done. In my opinion. Yeah. It's very tasteful. Like, like it's yeah. earnest. It, it's like, yeah. yeah this, whole sometimes... movie, this whole movie is really earnest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, what I was going to say about the, the conservative thing is. It does balance that out too with the liberal right afterward, <laughs> with the Obama supporting. Uh, yeah, um, and when and when they're at the bowling alley and um, uh, the the dad says, "Who are you voting for? Anybody but Bush." I'm like that's yeah. that's the kind of stuff that my my dad said. It's kind of stuff that my dad probably said to me when I was a kid, and yeah, and, yeah. and that I probably took up on when I got older. And you know, yeah. you can tell that when Mason is talking about like you know. He's on the road with his girlfriend going to Austin to visit his sister. And he starts yeah. philosophizing and all that. He's probably repeating a lot of stuff that his dad told him. You yeah. know, or a lot of ideas that his dad kind of instilled in him in, in a young as a in a young age. And he 
like he he looks a lot like Ethan Hawke as he grows up, so that's, that's kind of lucky genetics that they cast this kid. Oh yeah, that's, that's a great point. And he talks a lot like Ethan Hawke too as he gets older, like uh, like how Ethan Hawke talks in a lot of, like the before movies and in this movie too. Um, he, he feels he feels like a waking life or slacker character by the end of the movie, like like that's his progression and it feels natural. Yeah, exactly, and that's you know obviously in Linklater's wheelhouse. Um, we can, I can, I feel I can go on for this movie as long as it lasts, or just uh, we could we could have done a whole podcast about this movie, basically. Yeah, uh, th- there's uh, so much to talk about it, and I think it's I think it's I think it's amazing. I think it's yeah. just the most exhilarating time I've had at a, at a movie this year, honestly. Yeah. Um, TJ, did you have any more issues with it other than that first stepfather? Um. No, oh, he, here's the thing. When the movie ends, like, I was like, yeah, that was really good, but it didn't, I knew that it wasn't going to completely sink in yet. Like, yeah. like I'm, like, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go give it five. I didn't feel the way I did after The Immigrant, where I'm like, you know, everything just sort of cohes, uh, is cohesive by that final shot, which people, I think, in, incorrectly say is, oh, it's the only good moment, though. But no, it really, like, it t- like it's just, just the perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the perfect moment for me, and like I knew immediately that movie was great. But this movie is like it reveals itself over time, so I don't think that there are that many flaws. Maybe it's not visually interesting, except for like little moments, like Maybe. Robbie's, like Robbie's saying, where like you know he turns around, like that's still an image captured through uh, the thing. And also, I mean, I might just keep it down half a star because of the use of yellow. Um, oh come on! <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> come on <laughs> no totally kidding but um but i <laughs> they also use um they use music that's very appropriate for the times too travis because... barker remix of a soldier boy song <laughs> <laughs> yes the moment was great they though. open a sequence with that that was the beginning of a whole other year i think and they open with that and that's mm-hmm. the scene where they find out that the father's being abusive to... oh, <laughs> oh gosh the, yeah um... the... <laughs> and they use I that love, to go on i mean what makes a documentary like in my opinion is not just the you know we're looking at a family because we really haven't really been talking about the filmmaking we've been talking about this like their memories like like it, it's a great way to talk about this movie i think because you're like oh that moment where this happened oh you know i really like Ethan well, i think Hawk. that's the kind of director that link later is i mean exactly. he's not he's not exactly. uh he's not a visual no, sort of Terrence Malicky type of director. And that's just never been what he is, and I'm okay with that. I think that's perfect for what he's trying to do, and I think he's been able to make really ambitious things, uh, make really ambitious films about small things. Absolutely, no, I, I, and I agree with that. Uh, but but what makes it even more documentary like is it's a document of pop culture through time. Totally, like, yeah. Like. Like I mean, he brings, up, he brings up the Dark Knight and Tropic Thunder in one sequence, and yeah, and Pineapple Express. <laughs> yeah, he's like, Pineapple "Those are the three best movies of the year." I couldn't get along with this girl because she didn't, she like, didn't like them. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but like, but but the music, the Wii, the Xbox, the 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 little Game Boy, the Dragon Ball Z. I mean, granted, Majin Buu saga not that great, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, or or uh, or Samantha talking about the Sailor Scouts and like. <laughs> Like and these are nice pop culture moments that really do capture. Or when they go to the Harry Potter midnight release, I do. Oh yeah, of course. Like 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 this is something that I 
that it just feels very real. And we I never really... dressed up, but I went to one of those. Yeah, oh, exactly. And we, and we identify through our pop culture. We're we're identifying with this film, like so. It it just proves that. It, it, and we don't always like the best songs. Sometimes no. we really, you know, Blink One Eighty Two is the shit when you're a kid. Um, yeah. And how great um, was it that they brought up? What if there's a new Star Wars film? And that yes. was shot years and years and years and years before the, before those those were even greenlit. Like yeah, I mean, okay, and I had that, that conversation as a kid. Like, you know, when they're done with episode three, are they going to have an episode seven? Like, I mean, the, that's so perfect. Yeah, is a pop culture like <sighs> thing, and, and I love the the document because not all of pop culture is great. Some of it ages badly, but it's okay. That's like the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what? And, and the fact that he he's he's just happy that his roommate likes bright eyes. I thought was also kind of yeah, funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Which is what you worry about when you're going to college. They have the yeah. same well, well, my first college roommate was a huge Dream Theater fan. Oh, no. I heard the new Dream Theater album so many times. I hate it. It's maybe the worst piece of music I've ever listened to in my life. <laughs> that might be because I never I, – I don't have a single album that's a half star on radio music. I might just make it that one because that is just oh, horrid. <sighs> I hate that. It, it, I hate it, that band. Your, it, it's your strange wilderness. Oh god, I watch. I'd watch Strange Wilderness. Before, oh god, before I listen to that album again. Um, but we Patricia haven't even. Arquette. Patricia Arquette is amazing. Our, like, yeah, we need to talk about. Give her the Oscar, please. Yeah. yeah um, I I think both parents are going to get nominated. Um, Hopefully. I I don't think Hawk will win. Um, but. I think Arquette very well could because supporting actress, this is because of Hollywood doesn't value small roles for women or like supporting roles for women. It's always the weak category. I think she could make it. Hopefully. Yeah. Because I mean that last scene with her where it, and it's not played big. That's why I really appreciate that last scene is when she's like the the empty nest syndrome, like is clicking in. And then, and then she's like, what like he does, and then she like yells at Mason Jr. Mason Jr. doesn't know how to react. He doesn't know how to, like yeah, because you don't when that stuff happens. Because exactly, you and and you can tell it's not like it's not like this earth chat, but it's not this earth shattering moment like for yeah. her. Like you, you can tell that she'll probably have go out and have some drinks with her friends and she'll be fine. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, oh no, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's it's one of a million and a half honest, like honest earnest moments in this movie. This movie makes me live for the. This movie makes me live. Movies like this make me live through the, the, the into the storms and the Man of Steels of the world. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. The Transformers of the world. Like, <laughs> like whenever it's dark. Remember the movie time is dark. I'm just like, there's potential for movies like Boyhood to come along and, yeah. and, and, and 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 it makes going to the movies great for me and. Um, we haven't even we haven't even mentioned Lorelai Linklater, who is so yeah. funny. Even as a child, she's a, just delightful to watch. Yeah. And she like when she grows up, she something about her just so fits into that kind of like Aubrey Plaza type character, you know, <laughs> like yeah. like like that that dry comedic type of thing and apparently she's gonna keep doing movies like she has another one that she's working on right now and i'd love to see her in other another stuff i'd love to see lr coltrane and other stuff if he decides to keep being an actor and even if even if he doesn't it'll you know be a great thing you know see him in just for this film you know yeah 
I have nothing else to say. Pretty much, I've said everything that I can right now. Other than that, other than I wrote a review of Boyhood, um, which says some different things on speakerscreens.tumblr.com, which y'all should go see, mm-hmm. go read, and go watch. Yeah, it's very well done. Um, I have one more small thing, but I, I want need to give Danny a chance for for his last words before I. Oh, okay. Thanks. Um, yeah, I just wanted to address first of all, TJ, something you said about visual style that's uh, not visually interesting, um, mm-hmm. and how I've kind of thought about that because I've been thinking about that a lot more recently, like iconic images, you know, interesting uses of cinematography or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah, aside for a couple moments, there is a great long take um, that is like kind of out of the before midnight handbook where uh uh mason and just a girl on a bike i don't even know if they gave her a name um are talking oh yeah, um, yeah. oh yeah good point the, yeah this camera slowly rolls back as they yeah it's a really great conversation um but um yeah and, and i think that the, the style that link later goes for um it almost kind of reminds me like i mean it's completely different um piece of art but what it's the kind of argument i've made for the wire where the wire doesn't have a lot of it's not a cinematic st- show yeah yeah it doesn't have a lot of uh style kind of in your face like you know like someone like a great really stylistic director like lynch or malik would give you you know or even um, like breaking bad which is very yeah i was about to yeah say yeah that, breaking yeah. bad is really stylized which has too. like you know a yeah. lot of cinematography that's very deep and cinematic and stuff oh yeah no yeah, but, yeah. No, it, but it's but as you're saying it's going for something different like yeah exactly it's, 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 it's the function the, of the film yeah exactly like it, it does fit the like link layer is never go- like layer is never going to make like i don't know a black and white bergman uh type film like Ida is you know for example yeah like he's not gonna that's not his that's not his wheelhouse and i think i think what he does is perfect for what he's for for what he's trying to do and honestly i i think he's one of the top 10 best living american or directors of any country but especially in america i think one is one of the great living american directors um and he's at it's strange because he's made some great 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 movies in the past but right now he's at one of the creative high peaks of his career. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, this is his peak. I think this and Before Midnight are my two. This favorite. and Before Midnight, and 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 Bernie isn't as oh yeah, Bernie's am- amazing or ambitious, but it's a blast. It's really yeah, it's great. Still a really good movie. Mm-hmm. That was definitely kicking off this phase of his career. I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he has he has you know, and he's going to work on another movie in the fall. He's going to have another yeah. film out next year, probably. I mean, how yeah. crazy is that? Yeah, he's I'm really excited for that one because it sounds like because he has different distinct sections of his filmography. He has yeah, you know, the ones that play with time and and exploring characters via how time affects them and how their relationships grow as a result. And then he has you know the really philosophical stuff, um, the you know kind of just exploring characters in these settings like you know Waking Life or Slacker. And then he has this broad comedy. He's like School of Rock on the one end of the spectrum. And then the other end, I have not seen Bad News Bears, but I've never it's heard bad. really much positive about it. Um, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I shouldn't I, speak about it without seeing it, but I'm just saying, like, judging by what I know about it, like, you know, I, he definitely has I saw it. In th- I saw it in theaters. I don't remember anything about it. I'm probably not going to rewatch it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I don't think I've rated it, but I don't think I'm even going like, to, like, Yeah, I've, I've heard, <laughs> like, I've heard that that and. Probably Fast Food Nation are probably the weakest, weaker parts of his oeuvre. Um, yeah. 
but that's and me and Orson Welles was mixedly received. I want to see. I want to see that actually. I haven't seen it. it sounds yet, better but... than the others. But, I want to see yeah, it. I have to give it a shot. I, yeah, I'm probably gonna try to give most of the films a shot by by at some point. I've seen most of them anyways. Like yeah. I, I just saw for some reason Slacker. I've been I've slept on until about a month ago. Um, I've seen most of his films. I think I'm comfortable in saying that I really love him as a director, and I think yeah, he is he's someone I'm just ecstatic when he has a new movie coming out. Like I've 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 always said that I want him to be. Like what? If he can keep the quality up, you know, be like Woody Allen and have an have an annual Linklater movie. And for the past yeah. few years, like, you've kind of had that pleasure to have one. Yeah. You know? yeah. The um, to to piggyback uh, off what Danny said visually, I think something cinematic about this film is to make it cinema. The image is we get to watch someone grow up. Like the camera placement is as important yeah. as just the act of seeing him age from age six to 18. Like, I think yeah. that's, like that in itself is pretty cinematic. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I didn't feel, so I've been thinking about that too and trying to, I always look for that in films nowadays and, and, you know, I feel like, yeah, that, that kind of was the style is really immersing um, in a way that feels like, you know, these are experiences that we've all kind of had in one way or another, or, you know, it's the universality aspects of it. Of course, there's the specificity too, which is another thing I wanted to touch on how great it is, how, uh, when his character, when we were introduced to his character, we don't really have a sense of who he really is or is going to become, which I think is the case with any child, really. I think when they're six years old, you just have no idea really who they're going to become. And then, um, we see him take form into someone very specific by the end of it. Which is great that it didn't. That's like one of the I think feats of the film is that it it doesn't try to be it doesn't try so hard to be universal that it says like oh hey you know like look like this kid's just like you because like we all end up you know going through this and then that's we all end up like this because that doesn't really make any sense you know it it gets the universality out of other ways but it still builds such a detailed character that there's it's specific and not everyone is going to be like that. Um, but but anyway, it was a little bit of a digression. I think um, I think that I, I didn't need like it's some, it's like the almost the opposite of like Wes Anderson, um, who has really really heavily stylized stuff. Yeah, going on. he's really he's really yeah. all about his style and his his yeah. style turns into a, a kind of substance of its own. But yeah, and and that totally fit the function of Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, mm-hmm. um, but this is just completely different. Um, yeah, we don't want our filmmakers all being the same. We want, yeah, we want, exactly. We want yeah. that diversity. Yeah, I mean, it still felt distinctive to me, you know. It, oh, it did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't really. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to see it again, and I want to get an idea of, of everything I should be looking. Because yep. I didn't read about it at all before I, I saw it. Like, I just knew, you know, the premise, and basically that was it. And then now I'm going to see it again in a few days, probably. And I want to kind of get all these different perspectives and kind of know what I should be looking for this time that I didn't necessarily. Yep. I've already seen. I've already seen it twice, and it's yeah. it's it's worth that second viewing, just yeah. so you can see it at sea level without, you know, because the first experience is really overwhelming and just. You can't, yeah, I, can't even take in all of it, so you kind of have to see it again. And I'm glad I did, and it's really confirmed that for me, it's, uh, it's, just, I think it's, I think it's a perfect film. I really, yeah. I really do think that. The um, maybe to end our conversation. To yeah, because we, we have to, to be done. We have to be done in a couple minutes. The um, to to bring it back to the beginning of the conversation 
uh, and it sort of piggybacks off what you're saying, I think a second viewing would really flesh out some of these side characters that we've already talked about, about how, um, about how well fleshed out they are in the first place. Like these side characters really do influence, to go to the psychology reading, who um, Mason Jr. becomes. Um, I think the, the, the one particular moment I, I wanted to address before we finish our conversation is, well, a couple small moments, both involving um, Patricia Arquette's character. So w we get to see her single motherhood, but w things are revealed about her, her other life that's not shown that about how successful she is. Her students really like her. So yeah, we get yeah. to learn through conversations that she's a great teacher. Also, the young uh, Latino man who mm. she talks to uh, oh, yeah, as they're working on the house oh, and how man. that comes back. That we don't great. get to see, like, we see her struggling to help these two kids grow up, which is the hardest task, one of the hardest tasks you can ever do, is, is to not fuck up your kids. Um, yeah. but, but, but that's always a struggle. It's never easy. And we get to see her struggle, but we also get to see how she, she succeeds with other people. Exactly. Yeah. And that, t that tells us so much about her. That, that tells us that she's uh, like one of those people. She's very magnetic. Even though we don't always see that directly shown on the screen, we, we know that that is a fact because we see other characters talk about her. Yeah. I think it's an interesting way to reveal that. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that I think in a way it ties into the, the one of the big themes of the movie is how it's it's kind of the little moments that matter more Absolutely. than the you know what I mean and and uh, and yeah that's one way where it doesn't show like any one big moment where her students fall in love with her or anything like that that wouldn't really make much sense I think it just kind of it, it's these little moments like a party that she holds um, where we learn so much about the way they all see each other um, and uh, and it's going back to what Robbie said too which is a great thing I kind of wanted to point out is how um, it doesn't show any weddings or any divorces or any graduations or whatever. It's always, you know, the moments right after or in between or, you know, it shows the effects or whatever. And that allows us to learn so much more about the event itself and then and everything in between and, and what that event meant, you know. And, and, and it's just, I think, emphasizing all of these moments that are not, like, the direct you know, subject or whatever, or like what you would consider a landmark or whatever, um, helps us to, it's just much more detailed, uh, allows for much more detail. Yeah. Um, you know. Okay. So, I really have to get going. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Yeah, <laughs> so, I think we're, we're done anyway. Alright, so, our positions on this movie should already be pretty clear. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so, be, so be sure to to follow speakersscreens.tumblr.com uh, look at all look out for all of our reviews look us up on iTunes speakers slash slash screens on iTunes uh, rate us write a nice review that uh, gives us good placement on the podcast listing um, be sure to like our Facebook page speakers slash slash screens over on Facebook um, thank you all for watching we'll see you next time goodbye Bye. We can whisper things Secrets from our American dreams Baby needs some protection But I'm a kid like everyone else So let me go 
went well. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Can't wait to listen to it. Good job, everybody. Yeah. yeah. All right.